Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We are going right to the phones because I'm anxious to hear what this gentleman has to say. We got Matt Ensley from Tightline Outdoors joining us. And Matt, the note says cold water walleyes. You can't catch walleyes in cold water, can you? Absolutely, you can. <laughs> and we are. Yeah, and obviously. And you know what? We were talking a little bit about multi-species at Boyd. And when you get to this fall bite, when it's right, it is one of the best fishing times of the year, isn't it? it it's absolutely amazing right now. The walleye bite is turned on. All species are feeding up. Water temperatures in all of our lakes have dropped into the 40s now, and that triggers this fall bite. It's a jigging bite. It's a jerk bait bite. People are catching them from the banks using uh, square bill, crank baits, just about everything works this time of year because the fish are shallow. They have moved into what I call the littoral zone. That's uh, the shallow water, five to 10 feet, and they are feeding up the first uh, two to three hours in the morning and two to three hours in the afternoon or evening before the sun sets. Bites are awesome right now. Well, on those early and late day bites for walleyes, especially when the water cools, you, you really notice that ice fishing where you're limited sometimes to a half hour to an hour. But this time of the year, those what about the daytime bite? Are you finding them moving down and getting them on deeper structure? Yeah, so there, there are basically three techniques that work quite well. I start with the jerkbait pattern. The jerkbait uh, in that shallow water, first thing in the morning, is catching some very, very nice fish, large, uh, largely walleye right now. But uh, you can also, if you're fishing ponds or smaller lakes, get into some largemouth bass. And I've even heard of people getting into some nice crappie as they school up in the colder water uh, environment. And these temperatures will drop anywhere from a degree to two degrees a week, depending on our uh, fronts that start to come rolling through here in November. But uh, the jerkbait works well, uh, casting it out. Three types of jerkbaits uh, that work really well is the Rapala Shadow Wrap, the Slow Sinking, Rogue, Perfect 10 is a new Rogue out that's working quite well, Strike King, Wild Eye Shiners. But any jerkbait that suspends that you can pause, jerk it and pause, will produce early and late. As the sun comes up, that shallow water jerkbait bite will slow the fish will begin to pull out away from the bank and move deeper in the 20-foot range, 23, 25, maybe even as deep as 30 feet. And at that point, you have two techniques that work quite well, a jigging rapala or a blade bait or spoons. You know, we talked last time about uh, the old-school spoons. They still work quite well also. But that jigging wrap and uh, blade bait, work really well. Match the hatch, though. Make sure if you're on a perch lake that you're using uh, gold perch or a natural perch color. Glow Fire Tiger also mim- mimics a perch. If you're on a shad lake, you know, switch to the black silvers, blue silver, red silver uh, baits, uh, both in the jigging wrap uh, number five or number seven, and the blade baits either half ounce or five eighths. No, and it's a great technique, and I, I have a confession to make that um, in my younger days, um, I'd be out for that early and late bite, 
But as I've gotten older and, and into my own comfort more, I really rely on this time of the year getting that deep structure bite because some of the biggest fish I catch every year come on that deep structure bite. Well, the cold water periods of fall and spring are when you catch your big fish. Um, they feed up. They sense the seasons uh, changing, and uh, they go on a feeding binge prior to our lakes freezing up, and that's when you get into some really nice fish. Yeah, it's so true. This is Brad, and uh, I've seen it in a lot of the different bodies of water. I know you fish a lot of the metro areas, bodies of water, the stuff on the northern front range. The fish size and just the overall health and how heavy a fish is going to be Right now, outside of the spawn, this is the best time to catch your heaviest fish of the year. That's correct. They are uh, feeding up on perch and shad. If you uh, keep any fish for, for the table, uh, you'll find when you clean them, they're, they're just full. And you can see it in their bellies and the girth of the fish itself. They're not, uh, they're not starving at this time of year. they got plenty to eat, and they're taking advantage of it. And uh, the bigger fish are moving shallow, too, where uh, normally you might find them in the warmer months suspended deep or on the bottom in, in very deep water, almost impossible to reach. Now's the time to go out fishing from the bank or from a boat. Uh, move shallow. You'll be shocked how shallow some of these fish are. Any particular bodies of water that you've seen that are really turned on, or is it pretty much throughout the metro area? or? It, it is throughout the metro area for walleye. Uh, you know, obviously Chatfield has a huge population doing quite well. Uh, if you go, if you pay attention to social media, you'll see a lot of photographs of people holding walleye on the rocks. That's Chatfield, Cherry Creek. Go to the rocks, fish uh, jerk baits into the, the low low light periods, and you'll catch those fish. And they're catching numbers of fish. Aurora has turned on. Aurora is a perch lake, and the fish have moved up on main lake points. And in some cases, they're in the very backs of coves because they want to go shallow, and they're chasing the little perch fry. If the perch are back there, relating to some of the uh, grass beds that still remain, the walleye will be right in the back of coves. Uh, not where you would normally think they would be this time of year, but they are. Well, another thing that happens, you know, we talk a lot about the deep spooning bite this time of the year at the lakes, uh, Pueblo, Chatfield, uh, Boyd. But we I used to have a saying when Jimmy Randash won the um, PWT championship, I was fishing with him and helping him. And we made it, we coined a saying that said, if you find the groceries, the fish will be in there shopping. And it's really, it's, you know, people, they look hard at the water temperature, but it's really about the bait. Correct. And, you know, once you, you were talking about uh, the mid, midday bite, once the sun comes out, that bait will migrate away from the bank in some cases. And as the water temperature drops, they'll eventually migrate out of the shallow littoral zone and stay deep. And that's when that, that jigging bite, uh, no matter whether you're using jigging wraps, blade baits, or spoons, really shines because now you're fishing in 20-plus feet of water uh, constantly from the time you get there uh, till, till the sun sets. Well, you know, another thing, um, last year we had some boat ramp issues and things, and the cooler water came much later in the year, and a lot of people missed that, that jigging spoon, uh, glide bait, blade bait bite because the ramps were closed before the water got cold enough. I think, 
uh, as we're going to get into the next couple weeks, I think that shallow bite, as you said, is a great way for shore anglers to ca- take advantage of it. Uh, but like Brad did out on, on Boyd here just a few days ago, a couple days ago, I think it was, Brad. Yeah, Wednesday. And he caught multi-species. Once the water cools and that daytime bite does turn on, probably going to have two, three weeks of it that boaters can really take advantage, Matt. It has just really begun, and uh, we're in the full moon phase. In fact, full moon's today. So you've got uh, the three days before, three days after the full moon that uh, create a, a, an activity uh, period for the fish species that they feed up aggressively during that period. Also, the new moon near the end of the month and the half moon periods, uh, the two half moon periods are also excellent times to go. And uh, it's only going to get better as the water temperature continues to drop. Uh, you can fish these fish right on up till Christmas if you can get on the water. For example, Pueblo stays open, so you can go down there when our lakes locally here close the end of November. But uh, I fished right up to Christmas and, and caught them jigging. One other thing for people to pay attention to is November 1st, a lot of the boat inspection times have changed on various bodies of water. So you want to make sure to go check that out on the Parks and Wildlife website. And for me, I make sure that I'm off the water so that I get pre-sealed so that the next, while they're still open, so that the next time I'm going, I don't have to wait for them to open because a lot of the places, I know Boyd, for example, they don't open until 8 o'clock in the morning. With time falling back tonight, you're losing almost two, two and a half hours of fishing time by the time the boat inspectors are there. So think about that when you're going out there. Maybe get pre-sealed so that you can launch earlier if it's got a self, uh, self-deposit self location where you can put your seal and your receipt in there and get out on the water. I know that that's one of the things that I do that uh, allows me to have that opportunity to get that early morning bite you've been talking about. That's correct, and it's an excellent suggestion. Uh, normally, these uh, opening and closing times change by a half hour each month until December, and then it's just set. Uh, for like Pueblo. Um, any any other bites you're hearing about, Matt? Um, I know that you've been all over this, but some of the other guys maybe in your, with Tightline, have they been, anything still going on in the mountains? I know Spinney, I believe, is closed, but what else have you been hearing? Well, uh, Spinney was going great for trout. It's probably the best year we've had for trout up there. Uh, it, but it closed uh, the end of the month, end of October. Uh, 11 mile, uh, you know, they were catching some pike. Pike had slowed down, but still catching trout. Um, we talked about Chatfield. The bites going there on the, the walleye right now. Uh, you know, largemouth uh, Quincy closed the end of October, so that, that had a great fall bite. But you still have a lot of ponds north of town that are open, and you can gain access to and the bass bite in those ponds. Uh, are excellent because the fish are up on the banks just like uh, the walleye are right now. Now, it's a great, great time to be out there, and I love it this time of the year because it's almost never crowded. A lot of people have put their fishing gear away for the year, and a lot of them are out hunting. Yes, we are in our hunting season right now. So there's just a lot, a lot going on out there and a lot to happen. The last question I have, I don't know if Brad has one, but this time of the year when the water cools like this, People don't realize the size of rainbow trout that are in our front range lakes, um, and especially if you're throwing those big jerk baits or those jerk baits. Are you seeing a lot of big rainbow trout too? Absolutely. I was uh, fishing for walleye. It was two days ago, and I was using a little jig and uh, 
some Berkeley gulp minnows and made a cast and felt the tick set the hook and thought I had a big walleye and out of the water comes this five pound rainbow <laughs> with my jig in its mouth. So there are some huge trout. Uh, the state of Colorado is uh, the second largest budget for fisheries in the country, second only to California. And they spend a large portion on that uh, budget on trout stocking. So they do an excellent job of keeping our rivers and, and reservoirs stocked with uh, trout of all species. And so now it's a great time to go for trout year-round. Yeah, we, I've been seeing that up north as well, getting into some of the real nice, you know, 18 to 20, 22-inch trout and some of those bodies of water up shallow, like you say, particularly early morning. One thing I've noticed on some of the lakes I'm fishing up north, and kind of curious if you're seeing it down here in the metro area as well, it seems like size and color has been uh, really important, and that can change from from day to day, or uh, maybe not day to day, but at least within a, a few days period. Um, there's times where up there, it's a, a bright colored number nine jig and wrap. There's other days where a half ounce silver jigging spoon seems to be the hot ticket. Are you kind of noticing that, that once you really find that, that, that there's a particular color or size on a given day that's producing better and more fish, and that, that may vary from day to day? You know, in my early days of walleye fishing, I was a big proponent of the bright colors. And, and walleye, uh, their their eye sees two colors the best, chartreuse and orange. I think orange is actually number one and chartreuse number two. <clears throat> so I do try, in most of my baits, have some hint of that, those two colors if you're going targeting for walleye. But uh, lately, I have switched back to more natural colors, a natural gold perch, or a uh, Rapala makes a natural perch uh, jigging ramp, uh, and and two colors in the blade bait, silver or gold. Uh, I don't go with the bright colors anymore, and I've, I've done just as well on the natural colors. Hey, we're out of time, Matt, but a lot of great information. I think the, the, what the, the message is people need to get out and fish. There's a lot of great fishing going on. It is absolutely on fire, particularly the walleye bite right now. All right, Matt, thank you so much. Thank you. That's Matt Ensley from uh, from uh, Tightline Outdoors, and he's just uh, he stays on these metro lakes. He's really pounding them. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to switch things up, and Brad's going to talk waterfall hunting. He's an avid waterfall hunter, has been involved in a lot of calling contests, and we're going to get you up to speed on what's going on. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. In studio with me today is Brad Peterson. And Brad, I want to talk some waterfall hunting. Um, I've done some waterfall hunting, but I'm not going to pretend it's my area of expertise. You know, and uh, But you have certainly spent a lot of time waterfall hunting, including calling contests and being involved in the industry, managing properties for waterfall hunting. First of all, what's going on in Colorado waterfall hunting right now, and what's the outlook? Well, right now is a great time to be out there. We've got the entire state is open for duck season. Goose season along the central flyway out on the further east portion of the state will be opening up on Monday. And then for the front range zone, we'll be opening up again, we'll open up again because they had an early season on the 18th. So we are right here where 
I've been watching geese starting to move in, uh, sandhill cranes coming, talking to people in Montana and North Dakota. Their ponds are starting to freeze up. So I would expect with this storm we have coming in on Tuesday, we should be having a real big push of birds right before it and then right after. I know I'm planning to be out in the blind on Wednesday morning. Now, is there a lot of opportunities in Colorado to hunt waterfowl? What about somebody who doesn't have access to private property or something? In Colorado, the Parks and Wildlife have done a phenomenal job, particularly along the South Platte, in gaining access through either purchasing river bottom or through leases. Out in that area, we've got well over 40 miles of river that have access to the public hunter. So there is great opportunities for ducks. You will get a few geese in there when the weather's a little bit more inclement. But for duck hunting, We've got great opportunities there. A few of the places are reservations, so the best thing to do is go check the brochure to find out if you need to get a reservation to be there. But, yeah, for waterfowl hunting, Colorado, we have fantastic opportunities. Now, are they jump shooting or blinds, shooting from a blind or both? You can hunt them either way. Uh, the river bottom, I prefer blind. I, I enjoy the calling the birds in, the seeing that. That's what makes waterfowl hunting exciting to me, setting up the decoys, fooling them to come to you. So I usually spend my time getting up there, getting there early, getting the decoy set, and, uh, you know, working the birds in. But this time of year, the weather's still nice enough, and our river hunting is just starting to get good. So I would suggest anyone who goes out there, maybe the birds have stopped flying by 9, 930. Take some time, walk up and down that river, and look for maybe a little bit better spot to sit, maybe some quiet backwater areas that when it's getting cold, that river starts flowing ice, it's where it's going to be the X where the birds are going to want to be. And you're going to know exactly where that is because of kind of some of your, what I want to call early season scouting for the hunting that's going to take place in late November and December, kind of our real peak times. Now, when the geese start going, a lot of them are going to be on farmland rather than water, right? Yes. So do is there public access for that? Is there some there's some walk in I think, but for the most part, do you have to ask permission or how does that? For the most part, in fields, particularly along the front range, it's going to be leased opportunities. So either you're going to have to look at guides and outfitters um, or hunting clubs to join to get on some of this private ground. The further east you go, the more of a chance you have of getting some of the walk in stuff. The other thing that there are opportunities for, there are geese on some of our big reservoirs, Pruitt um, and Jumbo particularly, both of those offer, offer opportunities to hunt geese on the water. Now, um, when people are getting started, now everything I'm hearing is we're, gonna, we're having fantastic years of waterfall. Ducks, um, geese especially, we get a lot coming through here. Ducks are, um, are good. They're, they're great everywhere. Just question is how many will come and come through Colorado and in what waters. But if somebody's new to the waterfall sports, what's, how do they get started? Do they have to be able to call? I mean, obviously they have to buy a shotgun. What do you recommend? Give me some recommendations. For someone who's just looking to start out, I think you the, the one that's going to be probably the least expensive to start is going to be duck hunting on the water. You can get by with a dozen or two decoys. Uh, you need a pair of waders to be able to put the decoys out, retrieve your, your birds. Uh, some sort of camouflage, like you said, a shotgun with non-toxic shot, usually a, a steel shot of some sort. And I would pick up a call, and we've got a lot of great retailers in this state 
who have people that are knowledgeable about how to call birds. And you know what? I'm happy if someone wants to contact me, you know, I'd be happy to help them out, learn how to call ducks or do something like that. It's It takes a little bit of practice and getting used to, but once you do, it is just unbelievably rewarding to be able to watch those birds maybe fly away and the sound that you produced with your call makes them turn on a dime. They do a 180 and all of a sudden come in and land in your decoys. It's it's one of my favorite things in all of the fishing and hunting that I do. And what's the biggest mistake callers make? In a lot of calling sports, like elk hunting and things, people overcall. Is that true in waterfall too? There are times you can overcall and there's times that being quiet can be a mistake. The best thing with ducks is to try to read the birds. I usually call a moderate amount for the first couple groups of birds that I see, see how they react. And I'm going to go, because I feel confident in my skills, I'm going to go from moderate to calling hard if they're not reacting. If they're coming in with whatever you're doing, stick with that. Don't change it up. They like whatever you're doing. So if if they're coming in and you weren't calling, just let them keep coming. Until they start veering off, just stick with whatever you were doing. Uh, one of the things that oftentimes waterfowl hunters will make the mistake of is they'll start calling birds, and then once they commit, they'll go silent. And those birds all of a sudden are going, wait a minute, what what just happened? You know, every, it, It's like if you walk into a room at a dinner party and everyone's chatting up, and as soon as you walk in, everyone goes just silent. I knew they were talking about me when that yeah, happens. Yeah, you, you kind of <laughs> wonder. You wonder if you shouldn't turn around and head someplace else. <laughs> exactly. All right, so is there a lot of good resources on the web? So people... Yeah, Colorado Parks and Wildlife has some really good resources. Like I say, there's some other good guide services along the Front Range. If they want to look me up at uh, Brad Peterson Outdoors on Facebook, um, I'm happy to help people out learning how to duck or goose call. Uh, there's also great videos and uh, Internet instruction from – a lot of the manufacturers, Primos, uh, makes good tapes, uh, Buck Gardner, Tim Grounds. A lot of these people have really good tapes that can help you learn how to call. And then just, just go out there. And the nice thing about any outdoor activity is we're all kind of a fraternity. So if you get out there and you run in and you see someone that's doing something really good, you know, don't don't go crowding in on them, but maybe when they start to pick up, Go over there, ask them, or meet them at the parking lot, ask them for tips, and, and most all of them are going to be happy to give you advice. And we got quite a bit of the season left. How long does it go? Duck season runs through just, I think it's the last Sunday in January, and goose season runs almost to February 15th. All right, so lots of time. Great year to get out and do it, and it's just going to be starting to really go. I mean, the weather's going to change. We're going to, we've are going we had some local ducks and geese around. We're going to see the migratory birds coming down now, and I think the opportunity's out there. And if you wanted to get into one of the shotgun sports, this is a great opportunity to do that. And speaking of that, I see we've got JR on the line from uh, Colorado Clays. We're going to take a break, and we're going to talk shotgunning when we come back. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, Colorado's premier outfitter. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company, Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. We're going to go right to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Clays, the number one fisherman, well, him and Doug might argue about that from Colorado Clay, who's the best fisherman, but it's J.R. Pierce. Good morning, J.R. Good morning, Terry. So who's a better angler, you or Doug? Depends on who you ask. 
Well, I think it depends on who's listening when you're talking to me, too, since he's your boss. But Yeah, well, <laughs> let's just let it be known that I stop talking when he walks in the room and leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, JR, I want to talk to you about um, quail and pheasant hunting. But before we do that, you guys have a super event coming up next week. Tell me about it. Uh, Terry, this is our annual old-fashioned turkey shoot at Colorado Clays. It is Saturday, November 19th. Um, you register at 9. We'll start shooting at 10. What this is, um, this is something that's open to people of all abilities um, and ages. This is a fun shoot. And what it basically is is we line people up five at a time on our trap line, each person does five shots, one at each of the five posts. Uh, the best shot, uh, the best score wins a turkey. If we have a tie, we have a sudden death shoot-off. The cool thing about this, Terry, is everybody just comes in, signs in, throws their name in the hat. We go out there. You never know who you're shooting with or against, and everybody has a chance. Um, the best part um, is that it is a mere $6 per game to get in on it. So, just jump in there, $6, and you have a chance to win that turkey. At the very least, we are going to have an amazing, fun time. We'll have a fire going. We'll have a chili lunch afterwards. This one is one you don't want to miss. Well, and can you, can you shoot more than once for six? I mean, can you put in another six? You can go until we run out of turkeys, and we got a bunch of them. So, <laughs> All right. Yeah, and uh, in case anybody's worried, you know, that there's going to be ringers here, we, we have a limit. Uh, a couple birds, we the good shooters weed out by the end of the day, uh, we have kids and uh, family members, everybody shooting for those last birds, and it is an absolute um, fun time. I think that's the only way I'd win is if I was the last guy and no one else was shooting. <laughs> come on out, Terry. <laughs> I do have to come out and shoot there, but it just sounds like a great a great opportunity to really have some fun. And, of course, um, as far as having fun and opportunities out there, you guys have a full facility, and in addition to your uh, skeet trap, wobble trap and sporting clays you do have a rifle and pistol range and i believe you've got some concealed carry courses coming up well and you're right terry we do have a state-of-the-art nra approved rifle and pistol facility it's a beautiful facility a little different than everything it's something to see regardless of the uh, concealed but i'll tell you the the concealed carry permit it's a right and privilege that is available to us, and there really is no better place than Colorado Clays to take the classes uh, that are required for that permit. Um, and on that note, Terry, if anybody interested, go to our website, look at the dates, and find one you like, and then call us and get on the schedule, because we make a point of doing small class sizes so that our people really get uh, um, a great learning experience, because... You know, you're going to be with one of the Colorado Clays expert instructors, and you're going to get a wealth of tips, experiences, information that include, you know, not only a high-quality range time with an experienced professional, but you're going to learn laws and regulations, uh, gun safety and function, responsibilities as a gun owner and carrier, ethics, and just a whole bunch more. So this is a premium class and opportunity to head towards getting that permit. All right. Now, a couple things I want to touch before we run out of time. I had Ed Gorman on last week, and we talked. We, he comes on every year to give me the update, the outlook for pheasants and quail, uh, Upland Game coming up, which opens next Saturday. Um, 
And it looks like it's going to be one of the most incredible seasons we've had in a long time. Pheasants will be at least as good as next year, he believes, if not better. And the quail in the southeast, Ed said, may be the very best he's ever seen. And he's been here a long time taking care of that. Uh, And if you want to, by the way, if you want to find out what Ed had to say, if you go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, there's a link to my art last week's column in the Denver Post. And along with that, there's a link to the podcast of Ed's remarks. And there's just so much great information in there. You may want to go read that article and listen to that podcast. But the question I have for you, JR, is I haven't done much quail hunting. So uh, two things. Do I use a different type of shot when I'm quail hunting than I would for pheasant? And is it a different type of practice? Well, yeah. I mean, there are individual shot sizes and stuff for all of them. But let's start uh, with the most important thing, Terry, and that's everyone's objective uh, when the opportunity presents itself is to make their attempt with a shot size and pattern density that is adequate to make a quick, effective, and ethical harvest of the game thereafter. So we all know that's, that's the objective. So some of the most successful shooters are regulars out here, and that's not a coincidence, but in general, um, for pheasants, those guys are using four, five, or six shot with either, say, an improved cylinder or modified choke, and variables being, you know, uh, the conditions they're under, whether you're over dogs, if the birds are spooky, etc., you can adjust those accordingly. For the quail, though, that's a, a little different um, average shot. Those quail have a tendency to sit tight and blow up close. So, um, as a general rule, you'll be using eight or even nine shot with an improved cylinder cylinder or even sometimes a skeet choke to get a nice broad spread but maintain a good pattern density on your target. And, and that's just in for the people who are just getting into it don't understand. When you talked about that choke, it obviously it, the pellets get broader quicker with that choke because you're shooting closer and the smaller shot gives you more density and number of pellets because you're shooting a bird that's a little smaller than a pheasant and usually closer. Is that kind of a good way to sum it up? Yeah, and, you know, that's the thing with these close shots. Uh, a choke that opens your pattern quicker, um, you know, increases your, your chance of hitting good, but uh, a smaller shot size keeps enough pellets per square inch or whatever uh, measure you want to use that you're still putting plenty of pellets on your target to bring them down effectively. So it's a, it's a kind of a combination. Those are the standards that seem to be uh, with all of our shooters that are very successful. And once again, you went, uh, you said maybe four to six, four to seven for the pheasants and eight to nine for the quail? That's a very good general, um, very popular um, setup, yes. All right, sir. I tell you what, Jared, tell them again about your turkey shoot real quick. Saturday, November uh, 19th um, at Colorado Clays, 9 o'clock. Come on in, register. Uh, 10 o'clock, we'll start shooting. We're giving away turkeys. We're having a chilly lunch. Everyone is welcome. Everybody has a chance. It's a great time. Don't miss it. And there's information on your website? Yep, coloradoclays.com, and feel free to give us a call. All right. JR, thank you so much. Thank you, Terry. You bet. Always great to have you uh, have you on. Great information. All right. We appreciate it. Thank All right. You. That's JR uh, Pierce from Colorado Clays. Now, you know, Brad, I didn't do an Ask the Expert. JR was kind of our expert today, so that the question would have been about the shot size. So 
what I'm going to do now is I said so I'm going to give away a Sportsman's Warehouse gift card to the first person that texts. The text number is 303-713-1043, and you can't do it. Put your phone oh, down. 303-713-1043. And so if the first person that texts into the fan line and tells me what shot size that JR said for quail is going to get a $25 gift card to Sportsman's Warehouse. That sounds like a good deal. It is. So 303-713-1043. I'll get it right yet. I only say that number about a 1,000 times a month. All right. We're going to take a break. We come back. Uh, Brad and I are going to talk the upcoming ice fishing season right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Salmon. And, you know, before we... Uh, before we go here, um, I was expecting to hear from the folks at Honey Smoked Salmon. Brad, are, have you tried Honey Smoked Salmon? You know what, Terry? On your recommendation, I did, and it's a fantastic product. I just I, I can't get enough of it. It's in my refrigerator all the time. I, I put it in an ingredient. My favorite way is I take one part Honey Smoked uh, Salmon and one part uh, cream cheese, and I mix that up in my my food processor, put some different spices at different times, spread that on uh, just crackers, and it's just incredible. It's also good with a Pinot Noir, which I know you don't drink, but that's okay. So we get it. Yeah. So. I do the same thing, add a few little fresh herbs in that, and uh, just kind of adds a little bit of additional flavor to it. That's That's a fantastic way to have it. And it's hard to believe it's good for you. That, that's the tough part. It really is. Terry Oaks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. I'll tell you what, if you've never stopped by Sun, just take 84th Avenue, go, go um, east off of I-25 to Pearl, go north. About two, three blocks, you'll see this five-acre campus. You will be amazed at the selection, the brands, and the people there. It's worth worth checking it out if you're into ATVs or motorcycles just to go by. Um, Brad, we're going to talk some ice fishing. Brad Peterson's in studio with me. But before we get to that, I want to remind people that a lot of what you hear and see on this, hear and see on this, a lot of what you hear on this radio show, you'll find out more about and you'll get a heads up that it's coming up if you follow my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Uh, if you would have... Uh, Follow, been following or liked the page, you would have known Brad was going to be here in studio with me today to cover a variety of hunting and fishing topics. There's always a link to my Denver Post article, and there's links to whenever we put a new television show up on our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, there's a link on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. So we really encourage you to go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook and follow us and like us so you can keep track of this. And by the way, if you're a pheasant or or um, Upland Game Hunter, you need to go to my Facebook page now, scroll down, and find the article I wrote for the Denver Post with Ed Gorman and listen to the podcast. Once you hear what Ed had to say about this year's season, you'll be polishing your shotgun and ready to go. But, you know, we talked earlier, Brad, there's just so much to do in Colorado in the fall. Fishing is fantastic right now, but we're probably, it looks like we might be headed well, certainly in the mountains, the lakes are freezing already, the small ones, the high, high elevation. But it looks like we might be headed for a pretty early ice fishing season. That's happening across the Northland, actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting excited about that as well. It looks like we've got uh, 
it's it's setting up right for an early and possibly a longer ice fishing season. You know, our water temperatures are quite a bit cooler this time of year than they were last year. And like you say, uh, on a normal year, we've got bodies of water, Georgetown, uh, some of the coves in Dillon, uh, North Michigan, that typically by Thanksgiving have safe ice. Be careful. You know, we've yeah. always talked about, you know, being careful on, on that early ice, but usually have that three, four inches of ice about that weekend. We're setting up where we might even be looking a little bit earlier, getting onto some of that ice and the front range. I think we're looking probably mid December if we keep on this same weather pattern. Mid November, you mean? Well, the front range, front mid December. Range, yeah. yep, front mid, range would mid-November. be mid December, whereas a lot of times the front range isn't until the end of the year and then it goes a month or two into yeah. next year. Yeah, what I really want to talk about too is um, getting people ready for ice fishing. There's a lot going on. The first thing. I want to talk about, and you've been doing this, is if you still have your boat out and there's a lake you're going to ice fish, you should be scouting fish locations now and marking GPS points. Yeah, using that. And then also we've talked about, uh, you know, some of the, we aren't as blessed as some of the people in the Midwest who have phenomenal one-foot contour maps on all their bodies of water. But what we have is we have depth finders now that have the ability to make your own map while you're out on the water or download maps. And by taking some of that information and incorporating it in with your GPS points, you can kind of see how the fish are moving, setting up for the ice season. And there are some new units out there made by both Lawrence and Humminbird um, that have that incorporate a liquid crystal depth finder with the mapping program right there in the GPS that's all handheld, a smaller unit, portable so that you're able to really find that spot on the spot to get you there without having to drill a bunch of holes and look around. It's it's really sh- shortening up the amount of time you have to spend looking and extending the amount of time you're actually fishing. Well, I think the mapping software and the use of GPS has become almost as important as just the depth finder is itself. And I, I, I virtually don't want to ice fish without a depth finder. You know, I was with Dave Gens when the fish trap came out, when we pioneered the use of electronics. I'm just older than dirt is why that is. But Greg Klausu and Gens and myself and Doug Stangy and Tony Dean, we kind of led a charge to using the electronics instead of drilling a hole and sitting there to get portable, get a portable shelter, move around, use your electronics. And what I'm seeing with the mapping software, some of the things, you know, we don't have the chips available in Colorado like they do in Minnesota, but some of the software you can download that's uploaded by people, you know, they share is almost as good and if you don't get a chance to go out and, and scout, uh, having that map can save you so much time, make you so much more successful. If you want to get an idea how to use that, I did an ice fishing show on uh, Dowdy up at Red Feathers. It's on my YouTube channel. It's called Dowdy with Electronics, I believe, or Ice Fishing Dowdy with Electronics. And I take a GPS and I go right out to a rock that I found in the summer. It's on this flat where everybody's fishing. This rock is only like, three or four feet across, went right out to that rock with my GPS, had the point marked, set up right over that hole, found it on my depth finder, drilled just two or three holes and found it. And I was out fishing everybody around me three to one because I was fishing on that rock. Yeah. And back in the day, I used to use a handheld unit where I would just have it in my boat and mark points. And then I'd, I'd kind of keep a record of what those points were, like the rock you're talking about. But now the fact that you're able to find that with your boat or the other thing we've got is Google Earth. A lot of these things you can find on Google Earth. Go drop a pin on it, 
pull out those coordinates and then go put it into your GPS. It's going to get you pretty close to where you need to be to find that area. And you can transfer memory cards from your unit uh, on your boat over to your uh, ice fishing unit and get you to find those those little spots, that rock, that little weed edge, uh, a transition maybe, or, or a steep break line. All those spots are going to make a difference between catching a couple fish and really catching a pile of fish. Kind of like when we went to North Michigan and I forgot the spot because I didn't have it on my GPS and we sat up in the wrong spot till I realized it and we moved. Yeah, and uh, we were using a handheld auger, and when when you're at that, you know, 16 inches of, of ice, <laughs> it kind of wears you out having to punch all those extra holes. Yeah, I don't think he'll ever let me forget that. But, hey, and the other thing, Bill, we've got a couple minutes left I want to mention, you know, the other thing that really revolutionized ice fishing uh, as much as the electronics was a lot of people didn't want to go ice fishing or they didn't move around because they either had huge shelters that you couldn't move or they got cold because they didn't stay warm and they didn't fish very long or very effectively. The portable shelters really revolutionized that. But now even more with the clothing that's available, you can almost go out without a shelter. And some of the clothing is phenomenal now. Yeah, there is. There's a bunch of companies. You know, Clam was one of the first ones that came out with phenomenal ice gear. There's several other companies that have come out and, and make the ice gear that's in sizes for you know, uh, a shorter, stouter person, a tall, skinny person. And they also are designing a lot of stuff for women and youth as well, which has been a problem, uh, you know, oftentimes with, with kids or with women, they were trying to fit into clothing that was designed for men and it wasn't at quite as effective. And so now with what they're doing, it's a lot easier to stay warm. And in Colorado, we're blessed a lot of times where we get up into those 40s, 50-degree days with sun while you're out ice fishing. It's warm and comfortable, but as soon as that sun goes behind the hills in the evening, it gets cold really fast. So having that stuff either in your sled, uh, in your shelter to where you can put it on quick, stay comfortable, you're able to fish that extra maybe hour of the really prime time. Or if you're pulling your uh, your shelter across the ice and you walk a distance and start to sweat. If you don't have the right clothing, we're going to do some coming up. I'm going to be covering quite a bit of ice fishing over the next few weeks. We're going to have people like Dave Gantz, probably Doug Stangy on. Uh, maybe we'll get Al on. He loves to ice fish. Al Linder. That would be, I don't know if we can get him because he's, he's, he loves to do some ice fishing. Yep. And we'll get a bunch of this. And so we're going to cover. You'll come back on, of course. We Greg Claus will come on. So we're going to talk a lot of ice fishing. Well, we're out of time. So that's all the ice fishing we're going to talk today. Brad, uh, thank you so much for joining me in studio today. Lots of great information. Thanks, Terry. Had a great time. Now, remember, if you missed something on today's show, um, we do podcast everything so that you can go to uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Go to the fan. Click on the menu, go to my show, and all the podcasts for this week will be there. Once you download that link, it, it, it'll it go away the week after as far as being on my page, that link, but you'll be able to access the podcast for months. So you can go and re-listen to that. The best way, too, is to follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Either follow us or like us. We'll tell you what's coming up. You get links to my articles in the Denver Post. If I'm out doing some active fishing, you get almost immediate uh information on what i'm doing all that's available terry wickstrom outdoors on facebook and of course join us every saturday morning from 9 to 11 right here on 104.3 the fan for terry wickstrom outdoors My head.